So the the overall topic um, is this. Effectively, it's a discussion about why the system is broken, but more specifically, why it's broken beyond how people feel about it. Because it's one thing if a system is broken, it's another thing if people don't feel or understand that the system is broken. So you guys ready? Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one. Welcome back to another episode of Recap, the podcast where we, well, this isn't a regular episode of Recap, is it? This is a recap discussion. Uh, it's something a bit different we're trying here on the uh, on the recap show where we we try to cover timely news. But one thing that we've determined is that we are, all of us, are pretty long-winded. And so um, instead, of end up, instead of ending up talking about the news, we just generally have discussion about the things uh, that we find interesting or things that are currently happening or what have you. And so I think it's, it's more relevant to give ourselves a discussion space uh, about some of these things. And so this is kind of the first of those attempts to see what that looks like. Yeah, today on the docket, we're going to discuss, and I'll, I'll introduce you guys in a second. Um, today on the docket, we're going to discuss why a lot of systems uh, that are supposed to be helping Americans are broken. Um, and a couple of things around around those lines and uh, what we can do about it. But with me today, I have our analyst, Alex Crohannon, uh, our writer, Anthony Arnold, and the, the boss lady of Pointcast herself, Francine Dash. How are you guys doing today? Just another day in paradise. <laughs> and That's right. Just. That's what I call my living room now. You got to pretend you're going somewhere, huh? Say so you have a nice little plaque made. Welcome to paradise. See? Too bad you guys don't have video because you can see my beautiful art of my flowers behind me out in paradise. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad you guys. Are, I'm glad you guys are doing well. I'm glad you guys are doing well. So the the first thing and kind of the big thing, the elephant in the room, as it were, uh, is the police. Uh, that's been the majority of uh, what these protests have been in reference to, and it's kind of what I believe to be the boiling point for many of the issues that we face. Uh, as Americans, when we are talking about how these systems affect people of color. And one of the things I kind of wanted to bring up, and as I, as I make this point, I want you guys' opinions on it. Because again, this is a discussion space. We're, we're not, there's, there's not a right or wrong answer. I'm mostly wanting you guys' thoughts about what I'm gonna share with you today. Um, I personally believe that the issues that we face as a country are no longer ignorable. And what I mean by that is, You've come to see, I mean, we've seen it several times, uh, an issue gets brought to public attention, whether it's social media or what have you, and there are a lot of people that call for change. And there are also a lot of people who find ways to deflect the issue. They find ways to effectively ignore it, whether it's something that affects them or otherwise. And what we see is that it, it doesn't affect everybody the same way. And obviously the issue as it stands wouldn't affect everyone the same way, given that it's you know, marginally more affecting people of color, but it's something that we can see now. We have irrefutable proof of these things happening, yet we will still see people not be brought to justice. We'll still see the same reasons being thrown out from the 60s to 70s to everywhere else about why these things are still happening and how people view it. And so my original thought and kind of question to you guys is, uh, I believe that the system is broken beyond what anyone could feel about how the system works. What do you guys think? 
Uh, I think that's right. I guess I'll lead off here. Um, <clears throat> I think that uh, we're seeing this right now. People have a lot of very strong feelings. That's why there's so many people out protesting. That's why there's a lot of protesting among people of different races. Um, but the problem goes way beyond do you personally feel that it's an issue? Do you personally feel racism is real? Do you personally feel that brutality and policing is real? Because a lot of a lot of the problems we're facing go far beyond your individual opinions and they go into the sort of systemic structural issues that that exist and perpetuate themselves decade after decade after decade after decade. So uh, I think you're right there. Um, it goes way beyond if you feel upset or if you feel uh, angered. So I think that's right. Well, I think um, to answer your question, yes, I, I agree. Um, it's more than just racism. I think racism is a symptom of, of this very flawed system that was never really meant for who we are as America or Americans today and has been retrofitted historically through amendments and laws to try to fit all of us. But, you know, that's, I think that's done some unintended covering up of problems along the way. And I think that uh, we're going to have to find the strength of our American convictions to take the deep dive uh, into those spaces to really try to rectify and make certain things right. Like for instance, policing. Well, and I, I think I agree, Francine. And I think um, that for the first time in human history, we actually have data and like science and understanding of how human beings work and like how these systems work. And that we as a society, like for any system, like there are going to be like uh, pros and cons, right? Like you're always, there's always a balancing act. Um, but for the first time we actually have the tools to reshape it, to serve the purpose, uh, sorry, to serve a desired purpose. It's no longer a, I think this, I think this thing and therefore this. You can say this thing, therefore these consequences. And we um, as a society have to come to, a, to that reckoning that the old was based upon feelings. And I think this, therefore this, and now it really needs to be a, this is true, therefore, this is what we should do. So as we get into this discussion, um, I originally wasn't going to throw out this question, but I, given the, the company that I find myself in, I'm really interested to know what your thoughts are on the matter. And a lot of people have been kind of going back and forth in my own personal circle about exactly what the solution is. And it always ends up coming back to the fact that a lot of the problems, as we've discussed before on this on the show, are systemic. And there's there's no real easy, there's no like we fix A and B and C fall into place type answers to the, the issues that we face here as a nation. And a lot of them are saying things like burn it all to the ground. And so my question to you becomes is our system worth saving or do we need to make a new one? That's a heavy one. I would, I would say yes. Um, the, uh, there are parts of the system worth saving. 
Um, part like the uh, so well, it was it wasn't written uh, you know explicitly with this in mind, but like the Bill of Rights uh, kind of follows into like the very modern radical idea of human rights. And again, it wasn't that was not its intention. Um, because it was, you know, intended to apply to um, affluent white men who had land. Um, but, like, that idea of everybody should have, be able to, um, say, to, to speak their, like, to speak their truth without uh, fearing pull, um, the, say, uh, state force. Everyone should be able to um, practice their faith without fear of state force. Those are good ideas, and those like and those are worth defending. And those are worth retaining. Now, some of the um, baggage that is um, those are associated with, yeah, no, burn that. That is a cancer. Cut it out. We know what it does. Okay, I'm. Re- I'll, I'll answer this one. So, the, when you ask the question, the reason I hesitate is because I think the scope of the changes that we're talking about making de facto you're burning the current system down. But I, I don't say that from like a position of like an anarchist or that I just hate everything about the country. I just recognize that what you're preserving is like 10%. Like at that point, the, 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 the old system doesn't actually exist in reality. Like it can't because it's been in place for so long and, and there's so many ways in which it's flawed that you end up scrapping the whole thing. Um, while we were preparing for this episode, you know, I looked up something about San Francisco's housing crisis and I'll, it, it'll, it'll connect. Just give me a, give me a sec. <laughs> so okay. most people, they think the housing crisis in San Francisco is because you have a lot of high tech, high paying jobs that have driven up the price of housing. That's not actually true. San Francisco's housing crisis is because for decades, San Francisco housing policy was designed to keep out multifamily housing. It was designed for single-family homes. It was built to be intentionally exclusionary for racist reasons originally. But now, even in a city that is as liberal as San Francisco, what you have is, you know, the nimbyism, the not in my backyard, where a lot of liberal progressive people are actually fighting very hard to keep multifamily housing and affordable housing out of their communities. That is a choice that they are making right alongside their decision to vote for Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton. They're doing them at the same time. They're voting for progressive candidates and also voting to make their housing exclusionary and de facto racist. You actually have to throw that out as well. Like when we're talking about replacing stuff, we're not just talking about replacing racist politicians or overly bad statues. We're also talking about going to places like San Francisco and going, look, I know what you guys say you are, and then I see the choices you make, and that also has to go. And you've got to throw all of that out. And that, the San Francisco problem is a problem in, I will assure you, almost every major city in this country has a problem with nimbyism. Like, liberal, largely white progressives who are fighting very hard to keep their communities very exclusive. That, that is a problem in almost every major city. Um, and it ties into what we see with policing. It ties into what we see with education policy. They all tie together. So you, by the time you scrap all of that, yeah, you're replacing the whole thing. 
And uh, I'm going to put on my, excuse me if I put on my Marxist cap. <laughs> um, well, yeah, but you've tied property value, you've tied financial incentives to property value. And say, and uh, we live in a society where um, cheap housing leads to decreased property value. So you are giving people a perverse incentive to be cruel to each other. And then you are surprised that it occurs? No, exactly. And uh, those sort of ideas are also what you have to scrap. And by the time you get done scrapping those, whoa, whoa, you, whoa, whoa. you, you are, are leave we, it in the country. Are, are, you, are, you, are you suggesting... Are you suggesting that we that we get rid of like capitalist housing markets? Um, I'm just saying that. <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying the the current. I, no, I'm just saying that as you mentioned, um, you incentivize certain behavior and you get certain results. And if you want the results to change, you have to incentivize new behavior. That is a really you know, we've talked about design stuff on here before. Alex, you've mentioned it. That was the genesis of why we're doing this topic. Um, because how things are designed and the, the behaviors you incentivize, that determines what results you get. Um, you know, we mentioned the New York Times article that we posted on our Facebook page about the guy who was uh, misidentified and then arrested because of the facial recognition tech. But that's another space where you have incentivized bad behavior. And that behavior is actually hurting real people. Because we all know about this, right? I mean, if you do anything in the gaming community, you know, like, VR cameras don't do well with black people. <laughs> this isn't a new, this is not a new phenomenon to anyone who's had to handle anything with, like, Connect or PlayStation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're really aware of this. Like, oh, no, you didn't build this for us. That's some bad news. They haven't but- incentivized the right behavior. So, yeah, with housing, incentivize new behavior that is not exclusionary. I want, to try to, I want to try to encapsulate your question a little bit because it's a really big question. Uh, it is. About basically burn it down or re- reconfigure it. And you've got me thinking about the house that I now live in. Um, my house is about 120 years old. And um, it's like this slow process of trying to figure out what to salvage, what to save, and what to replace. You know, and you go by in this house, room by room, piece by piece. But the first thing you, you have to deal with when you try to reconstruct the thing is the foundation, you know, what, what it's on. And uh, so I found myself in some dark corners of my, my basement trying to figure out if the, if the walls are strong enough to hold up the present day dreams that we have for this. <laughs> so I kind of see our country the same way. Um, we have to look at the foundation, because when this foundation on this house was built, I wasn't born and most likely this house wasn't built for anybody who looked like me. But now I'm here, you know, and I, I own it. I'm not going anywhere. Well, maybe, but I'm not really going. Word gets out, maybe. But the point is, whether it was made for me or not, I'm here. So now I have to contribute to helping to make it uh, work for me too, right? So the, your question sounded like a they, and I kind of want to make it more active as in what we can do um, to uh, make this country have room for all of us. And I think we do have to look at our 
related systems. Most of our systems are, are interrelated. They, they, they tie into each other, much like the foundational bricks of this house. If you take out one brick, a whole wall could fall down. You know, so it's not enough to say destroy it, burn it, get rid of it. That might mean the whole house. That might include the good stuff. So how do we reconfigure it in such a way to keep the stuff that's good while eliminating the stuff that won't allow us to move into the future? I'm well, glad you actually, oh, go ahead, Alex. All right, well, um, I just wanna, so the, anytime you start designing anything, right, you have to have a goal, you have to have an objective. Mm -hmm. And um, I think we have to recognize that there are, uh, of the different people in, that make up our society and our country, there are multiple objectives and they're not like, and those are sometimes mutually exclusive. Uh, so case in point, um, what is the purpose of justice? So uh, if um, people with a more liberal mind will say, it's like uh, to create fairness. I think, uh, like, I think everybody in this room is going to agree that like that is, that is a, Thing that justice should do. And people with conservative, um, more conservative viewpoints would argue, no, that is not the purpose of justice. The purpose of justice is to, sh is to show people how they should live. Should point the, justice should point the key to a good life. It should, it should reward what is just and punish what is bad. And those things cannot, cannot exist together. No, no, they can't. That's, that's a lot to unpack. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna... um, Mind around that, I, I, but what's the what's the crux of the question? What's the real question here? What's the real problem? So, um, I'm, this, this is why I was originally going to say I'm glad you brought up the foundation or at least the, the analogy about your house, uh, because I was going to provide an analogy about mine. Um, but that's that's wonderful. It, it's a wonderful little parallel that we had there. But um, I think that in in many cases, when we have issues like we getting back to the initial. Uh, pur purpose of the conversation here. I, I believe that many of the issues uh, that we are dealing with will be changed if we change three things. Thing one, thing one, and in my mind, this is the most important one, we need to change America's people. And I'm not saying that as in we need different people here in America. I mean that we need people to feel and understand things differently than they currently do. As of right now, we have what I believe to be two major schools of thought here in America. The first are the people, in my mind, who are protesting. Those are the people who effectively want fair and equal everything for everyone. And that's the, the purpose of the protest because that's not being done right now. And we're attempting to you know, change that by making voices heard. And we have the people on the other camp who are, what's the best way to say this? Because I'm, I'm not trying to be disrespectful when I make this point, but we, we've got a lot of other people who are trying to uphold the status quo. They're, they're trying to only worry about the things that specifically affect them. And being someone who's gone to other countries, I can see, I've seen in several situations, the like community of camaraderie that a lot of the other nations around us have. There, there are so many people who are just willing to help those around them because they can, not because they would get anything out of it, not because of anything else. 
And I believe if we fostered more of a mindset, we should care more about the people around us and what they are also facing, even if it's not affecting us, we can actually make change that will allow us to exist together in this nation. But that's like a fundamental change in the way that people think. Can I jump in there on, on that the question? A lot of times people usually feel good about participating in a system they feel valued. Uh, so the, the folks that you said who are on the other side, I'm gonna do plain speak here. So we have the people who support the Black Lives Matter movement. And we have people on another side who don't support that movement and probably feel alienated or whatever their feelings are. I don't wanna put thoughts and words and feelings to their hearts and minds. I'm not quite sure I really understand why they feel that way, but maybe it, there would be some value into trying to understand um, why, so that they can feel valued enough to participate alongside us. Do you think there's any value in that sort of effort? I absolutely believe that there's value in that. And I, this is something I mentioned in the last show, like it, bridging the gap between people who, who have opposing viewpoints only happens when those viewpoints are allowed to change. And I think that we need to change how people are viewing this. And, and I'm not saying it only happens, it only needs to happen on one side. I think we as a whole need to be more willing to hear, understand, and change what we think based on what we learn. But everyone has to be willing to learn. But is that, so I'm trying to think through what both you and Francine have mentioned. Uh, while thinking through, my brother and I have had conversations related to this before. Um, given where we are right now culturally in America, do most people want to make the space for others to change or to embrace change or to see change as an opportunity? And the reason I say that is because, you know, there's a, there's a thing about how conservatives have a lot of political power and want cultural power. And progressives have a lot of cultural power and want to have more political power. So I've mentioned this to my brother before. It's, it's actually kind of legitimately strange, for instance, that if you turn on late night television, you don't see any conservatives on any major stations at all. It's actually legitimately kind of weird because there's not really a reason why it should be a space where they just can't go. And I'm not talking like Sean Hannity should be on CBS after Colbert, but like somebody. And so, but what you see is, and this is a, probably a factor of just what my Facebook and social media feed looks like, but I see a lot of people dunking on people who are so much to the right of them. And that just seems to be what we do. I don't see a lot of people saying that we should give them an opportunity to change or create space for there to be a dialogue. I, I don't see a lot of willingness from people who are on our side, uh, and I mean ours, if you're somewhere left of center, you know, center left, left of center, somewhere around there, I don't think there's a lot of willingness on, on our side to give, to give people who may be opposing Black Lives Matter the opportunity to, to shift or change. I, I don't think that's something we're capable of doing. Most of us, some of us are. Um, I think it's just easier to dunk on people and make pithy YouTube videos. It is. <laughs> and while and while I agree that some people that people need the um, we need to de and we need to destigmatize the ability to change your mind 
changing your mind in response to facts needs to be viewed as a positive thing and not a negative thing. That being said, uh, I've, I've uh, said this on a, on a couple of places, you have an opinion, you can have an opinion on your favorite movie, your favorite genre, your favorite ice cream. You do not get an opinion on if some people count as people. Okay, but let me push back at that a little bit. Not that I, because it's not that I think that's an opinion that people shouldn't hold, but if you grow up in an environment where that's what you're taught, that these, that some people don't count as people, um, and then you move out into the larger world, you move out into college, you move out to the workforce, you still hold this opinion. And you are presented with overwhelming evidence that you might be wrong. But the people who are presenting you the evidence aren't interested in changing your mind. They're interested in ridiculing you for having this wrong idea. How exactly are people going to respond to this? Because they, they, they're not, a lot, of the, a, lot of the, a lot of the intention when you might meet someone who has the idea that, oh, this person doesn't count as a real person. This person doesn't have the full rights. A lot of the people presenting the information to these groups, they're, they're just not interested in open and honest dialogue. They're interested in creating, like, clickbait. They're interested in creating a moment where they can go viral. And, like, I, I know this because I went to Ball State. And so I ran into a lot of people because, you know, we are the, like, we're, we're not the top tier of the Indiana universities. So we had a little bit of like a stepchild complex. But I met a lot of people from smaller towns who legitimately had grown up in environments where like Ball State was mind-blowing to them. They were just encountered by things that they could not possibly make sense of. And it was really a confusing time. And... Um, I tried to say to my liberal friends at the time at Ball State, like, you are really clowning on people who are coming from a place that is so unlike where you came from. And, and they're not going to come with us. Like, if, if you're just interested in clowning them and writing op-eds in the Ball State paper that make them look foolish, you're not helping anybody. You're making you feel great. And you get a lot of applause. And you are totally unhelpful. If you're trying to change minds and improve society, you are completely unhelpful right now. <laughs> okay, all right. But what allowing those types of beliefs to exist in a society will lead to the degradation of that society. Yes, I, I'm, I'm not challenging that. I don't think you can necessarily allow every crazy belief to exist, but you also can't be so in love with the idea that you should tear people down that you you harden them hopelessly against you and i do see a lot of that going on right now that's why i circled back to like that's why when i mentioned the late night comedians like i try to imagine sometimes if i was a conservative like it would be exhausting if someone was like here's colbert dunking on you here's kimball dunking on you here's fallon dunking on you here's trevor noah dunking on you here's john oliver dunking on you, you would go look i got it the first time but seriously, like, why? Like, it's just an endless loop of the culture saying that we suck endlessly. Like, we get it. You think we suck. Can you tell us? No, 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 like, no, no. Something no, no, other than that, we suck. You missed, but you missed, you missed the position. You missed the position. It's, it's, like, it's not that, it's not that we think you suck. 
it's that that is the less that is the least offensive option for you because the alternative is that you are a threat to kind of rein this back in just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My this goes a lot back to what Francine said. Anthony, you're 100% correct. Um, the the common response that most people on our side that are supporting Black Lives Matter have to those dissenting opinions is to destroy them. And I understand why they feel that way because as Alex said, you it's a bit difficult to allow people to have an opinion about other people not being people or about civil rights issues. Like I've seen lots of Facebook posts about how like we can disagree about what your favorite movie is, we can't disagree about human rights. And that's why I think we need like a like a cultural ex- maybe not exchange, but like a, a, a cultural, hmm, the word that I was about to use is probably, is, is incredibly problematic. But experience, we, shared cultural experience. Yes, yes. We, we need a cultural enlightening um, to, to help us understand who all is here and what they all want and need. And then I think we need to find ways to make that happen. And that actually leads to going all the way back to what I said, the three steps to fix America. All right. <laughs> That leads into thing two, which is ensuring that any or all of the legislation and documents that get passed are not purposefully disenfranchising groups or intentionally making their lives worse. And that goes back into the foundation that I wanted to go ahead and get into, because like you said, Francine, a lot of these documents weren't written anticipating that we would be where we are right now anticipating that there would be the the wealth of diversity that currently exists here in America. And so I think changing those documents, or in some cases writing new ones, would go a long way in making sure those old documents cannot still be used to disenfranchise people. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And in my mind, that's step two. We need to change the way that people think. We need to change the documents. And step three is, in my mind, the hardest. I think uh, the final step... <laughs> the Herculean tasks that were one and two, only to get to three? All right. And I think the, the hardest task is to allow people to be wrong. Let me... Let me yeah, you need to explain that. Yeah. So we, we see in, in several different facets of American society that it's impossible to have a discussion. Whether we're talking about religion, sexual orientation, any of the things that people look at and view differently, we cannot have a positive discussion about them. Mainly because when people have a dissenting opinion about something that you hold dear, a value of yours, or anything else that, that you feel strongly about, you feel attacked when people tell you that either you're wrong or that there's more to the point that you're holding dear. And I think that we need to change the culture of discussion so that way we can make one and two happen. Because if we try to change the way that people think, and if we try to change the legislation about the ways that America runs itself, if we can't discuss why 
in the future, why it would either need to be changed or amended or what have you, we can't continue to make progress. But this is something that everybody has to buy into. And that's why I think it's the hardest. Because it's one thing to change an opinion. It's another thing to change how that opinion relates to yours and how you have that conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right there. Um, now, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go on for for too long because it does relate back to the conversation that Alex and I had, um, allowing people to like be wrong and just and leaving learn. it at that, that, right? And learn and, and being comfortable with saying, "Hey, you and I had a discussion. I think you're wrong, and that's it." just leave it there. Like it's okay for someone to not agree with you. You presented your case. They presented theirs. Sometimes, you you know, and, and and then you, you, you circle back to designing legislation and systems that is based on uh, individuals being correct all the time. Right. Like a system that functions if it functions most of the time for most of the people, you're, you're doing pretty well with most systems. Um, and we don't, we actually haven't built that here. So, but I think you're right. I think that's a good, that's a, a very good sort of three point. That, that's, you my, laid out. that's my optimistic three-step fix America plan. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you made me think of a conversation <clears throat> that I had on, social media with someone, um, this person um, made a comment as, and I, I'll, I'll give some information about this person, not for disparaging reasons, but kind of to, to state the case. And it kind of gave me like a quizzical kind of thought about where he might be coming from. But this is an, a middle-aged African-American man that was making a post on his page, basically stating that, um, he, why he didn't support anything that had to do with Black Lives Matter and how uh, any African-American worth their salt, I guess, or, or people, especially people of faith, could never support anything like that, right? So I reached out and I friendly, you know, in a friendly way, I, you know, I said I respectfully uh, disagree and these are the reasons why. And we went back and forth and basically I, it got to a point where I just knew that there was no, uh, there was no, there were no inroads made, no minds were going to be changed. And so I, I gracefully, you know, as best I could got off said, you know, thank you for allowing me to share on your page, my opinion, and thank you for sharing yours. And um, leaving the conversation there uh, that's one part of it. The other part of it is having conversations like that with people um, and, and having the courage to leave a door open with them where they actually do come around and change their mind internally. Like I didn't change it, but they were able to process some new information because we really are at the beginning of some sort of cultural shift. Back to a point that I was trying to make earlier, there's, gonna, always, gonna, there's always gonna be multiple agendas uh, in, in this country. But I think that um, what we have to do as far as laws is, um, I, I've gotten to the point where I don't care about changing hearts and minds. I'm just gonna be frank with you. 
But like, for instance, I'm drinking a cup of tea. And if this tea was not meant for anybody to drink, like it's wrong to drink it, but I drink it anyway, you know, I'm showing my rebellious side. But if the law was one that zapped me every time I would drink it, regardless of what I believed in, I would stop drinking from that cup. I mean, laws kind of have to be structured like that, where it doesn't rely on the people's thought, like their opinions. Does that make sense? The sniff test has to be kind of uh, like, you know, something that is not going to depend on our changing views. Like right now we're going through a shift. We might go through another shift. We might reintroduce some crazy things that we thought we left behind a couple of hundred years ago, you know. Um, I don't know, it's just, it's a crazy time that we're living in. But um, yeah, I think that's my two cents right there. I'll just bow out. Well, yeah. if we're raining on Josh's parade. Um, <laughs> oh, that's sad. Bring it on. <laughs> Bring it on. Bring on that. And I, I, I said this before and I'll say it again. And that is um, uh, throughout human history, we have shown that uh, humans are fickle. And uh, I say, and um, say it. They endure. And so with those things in mind, it's better to change systems and let incentives drive behavior than try to change society's behavior. Yep. I think that's kind of what Francine was talking about. That's exactly what I was saying, actually. I mean, so I, I probably lean up slightly more towards what both of you guys, Francine and Alex, have said. But I but there is something in what Josh said though. Because, you know, I'm thinking about um I'm thinking about welfare reform. So when they did welfare reform in the 90s, you know, they created these grants that basically allowed states the ability to do what they needed to do in their own individual states with the idea that uh states would know best how to spend the money. Um which is probably basically true, but the problem was that the individuals who were in charge of spending the money had some, to be blunt, uh, ass-backward ideas, and those individuals spent the money in ways that ended up hurting people and reinforcing stereotypes, and, you know, it's one reason why welfare reform um, was a disastrous part of Clinton's legacy, just a disastrous part of his legacy. What you had to do was, yes, you could have built, uh, you should have built the law better to restrict what activities were and weren't allowed and what states could do. But it also would have been helpful if, as Josh mentioned, the individuals in charge of spending the money just had some different sort of ideas about the world. It, both of those would have actually been very helpful in that case. Um, so while it is great to, to, to design better systems, there are people in charge of those systems at the end of the day. Um, and those people still do need to have some, I mean, I, I don't want to say necessarily better ideas or brighter ideas, but let me say they need to have ideas about the world that are broad. They need to have a broader understanding of who they're serving, who their constituents are, and, and, and appreciation for what all the people in their communities need from them, not just small slices. That's part of the reason, oh, go ahead. No, I, I think I can agree with that. I mean, you're talking about people administering the laws. Right. 
Right. You know, all of that makes sense. I think we're probably in more agreement than we realize. Um, just recognizing that change has to happen. I think one of the challenges that um, even among legislators, they get lost in the details of how to get there instead of remembering where there is. So we, we, need, to, we need to probably come together on where there is for us. Where, where do we wanna go from here as, as a country? And, and then um, to what, what you guys were saying, uh, Alex and, and, and Anthony, I don't know why I try to rename you every time I talk. <laughs> I do it too. I, it's it's not just you. I promise. I think it's because they're both a names. I think that's, I think that's what it is. A name thing. I lost my train of thought. But essentially, yeah, yes to what you guys are saying. I'm gonna agree on it. But being clear on what our goals are. That's that's. Yeah. Um, I don't want us to miss this really incredible moment that we have in history. Right now, one of the things that I've always seen missing when we have moments like this is people getting so caught up in the beauty of all these different people coming together. We forget that we actually have an agenda. We have goals. We have things that we intend to accomplish and to not get lost in, in everything that's going on. So I'll just say that. So um, at the end of the day, I'm glad that most of you are effectively in agreement with my three-step fix America plan. Um, <laughs> even if you may disagree with me about exactly how we get there and the best ways to implement it, I'm going to allow you to be wrong. Step three. But <laughs> uh, no, I, I think he's a uh, benevolent king. <laughs> my, my overall point is closer to effectively what, what Anthony is saying. Uh, regardless of what we do with how America runs it, there are people that are running it. And if we can change the way that these people think and operate, we can probably craft better laws that will allow us to be better as the people. Um, and that's effectively what we need to do. And it, it's, it's crazy to see how much we've come together as a people in solidarity, specifically in the fact that we need change. Now, we don't all agree as to what that change is supposed to look like or where all that's going to take us. And yes, there, there is definitely some benefit in hammering that out or seeing what that looks like for everyone. But yes, there is a cacophony of voices right now calling for change of some kind, whether that's abolishing the old system, whether that's adjusting it, regardless of what it looks like, something needs to change. You know, we really haven't talked about this. I just want to jump in here, but I'm just personally amazed by all the, how we even, this whole thing in America has affected other countries. Oh, I'm yeah. amazed when I see pictures of George Floyd being carrying, carried down the streets of Berlin and in London and uh, in Asia. And all of these different countries have been inspired by this moment that we're in. Uh, and it's just amazing to me. And I hope that uh, we don't lose this momentum and we're able to create real change. I hope so too. Yeah. Well, uh, this was fun. Um, I'm glad that we had a space to just kind of talk. Uh, we, we've needed that for a while because I still have this really bad habit of not having these kinds of conversations with you guys outside of this show. <laughs> so 
Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, uh, for hanging out with me for as long as we have. Thank you, everybody, for listening uh, to this, if you have. Um, we definitely appreciate you guys, and we want to hear your thoughts as well. Uh, share with us, you know, what you think about my three-step plan <laughs> for America. <laughs> if you have another plan, feel free to run it by me. I'd love to tell you why you're wrong. But uh, <laughs> regardless of, of anything else, um, this podcast, like all the other ones, are, are brought to you by in part by Elyak Productions, a studio for podcasters and musicians, and of course, Pointcast News. Listen to any of our other podcasts, please go to our website at pointcast.news, or of course, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Please, please, please like us on Facebook. Uh, we, we like to interact with you guys. Definitely share what you thought, either about this episode or what have you, um, either on the, on the page or anywhere else that you can. And of course, like I said before, thank you for listening. Thank you guys for being here. Y'all have a great rest of your day. Josh out. <laughs>